Welcome to episode number seven of the Backlash Podcast tonight, and I can say tonight because it is getting late, and Brad is podcast podcast crazy, and he wants me to do another one yet tonight. So this is number seven. We have brothers Joe and Jake Baddock. Both of them are pretty passionate muskie anglers from Indiana. Uh, we're happy to have them on. They've taken a journey from fairly new anglers to having moderately good success most trips out and at this stage of the game I think that's about all you can ask for um, thanks for coming on tonight guys how you doing oh not too bad um, just enjoying this nice weather here how are you guys doing we're all doing really good um, Carrie's on with me um, it's past her bedtime but she's she's gonna hang in there like a champ I'm gonna suck it up <laughs> we'll keep you entertained Carrie <laughs> perfect perfect so yeah, we're prepared to hear some neat stuff. Yeah, guys. Well, I mean, about. well, let's talk about let's talk about your journey. I guess from you know where you guys came from three seasons ago to where you are now. Instead of starting at the beginning, let's just kind of maybe get a recap on how the spring's been going. You think that's where we want to start with that, Brad? Yeah, I I, I think the other side to this maybe the angle is. Uh, you know, muskies became your passion, but obviously some other kind of fishing probably started this, this whole career and journey, if I'm not mistaken. Right, guys? Yeah. Well, I guess it's just kind of fishing in general. Uh, we grew up and our dad was taking us fishing as boys. And then we ended up going to Minnesota. Our first Minnesota trip was by far that, and that was what started the bug. I I was only ten, and Jake was eight. I mean, we, you know, just catching a little hammer handle pike. But I, I, <laughs> you do that one time, and then come back and catching bass back in Indiana. It's just not the same anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you get pulled into watching, you know, the fishing shows and all that, and you, you know, I, my dad always kind of went up to minnesota and stuff with his dad and my grandpa and so we uh he would tell us about you know muskie and they always wanted to catch one but they never did and they're really hard to catch and all this well so i'm seeing on in fishermen and whatnot you know these giant fish these guys are catching it's like that's what we want to be catching so we end up taking a trip to eagle lake when i was 14 jake was 12 and we both got our first muskies up there and, awesome uh, nice yeah so fast forward then 10 years <laughs> later and jake and i just did uh, we were walking through a sports show and i'll let jake take yeah. it so we were walking through the boat sport and travel show here in indianapolis and i think we were making our way through sort of like the center where all the um, vendors are and stuff and we're like all right let's go to tackle town see what's going on there well, to get to that, you have to go through all the nice new boats that are in there. And we happened to be walking by and we saw this Lund sitting there. And we sort of like, you know, we're going to Minnesota this year. It's like, well, what would payments be? It's about $700 to rent a boat up there. So, you know, trying to figure this out. I'm like, well, that's a good reason to buy a boat because then we <laughs> save that money. We can be all year. And so... We ended up pulling the trigger, buying, uh, we got a Lund Renegade, just a bass boat here that, it, I mean, it's nice for our waters because you can launch in anything, stuff like that. And So we ended up getting that, and uh, we get the boat, and we figure, well, we 
we've got the bass gear, but there's musky waters here in Indiana, and we just never had the opportunity to try and tackle it. So it's like it's always the fish we wanted to fish for, and it's like, well, heck, we might as well go for it. So just kind of started from square one, looking at stocking reports to see what lakes we should potentially go to in Indiana and stuff like that. And here Webster blew up. I remember how many years ago that was now and it sort of added died off and we heard from mike holbert we fished with him and he used to skydive out on webster I, evidently when they did the big weed kill there i guess that lake just went just downhill real bad and so we decided to look at the stocking reports and we didn't choose which lake we wanted to go to based on which one we think would have the most fish and the biggest fish and so we just went from there and um and that's so obviously we uh going up to minnesota as little kids that was all always our goal and that's where i think we were when we were walking through the boat sporting title show we we were trying to think what lake you know what lake do we want to try uh it landed on vermilion i don't know why at this point i mean it's obviously has really really big fish and we were oblivious to the pressure and everything like that but for some reason that lake it's tortured us but it's also hooked us in a way where it's just we can't get enough of it and if something bad like getting skunked or whatever it just puts a fire underneath your butt to get back out there and do it again so it's just been a heck of a journey so far and that i mean i love it it's well, it's it's interesting. Um, I think you guys brought up a, a little tidbit there that, you know, some of the listeners could take advantage of, too, and that's looking at the stocking reports. You know, that's a, it's a great way to be able to uh, kind of hone in where you really want to go. Well, if you just do a little bit of digging, it's amazing what you can figure out. For and sure. The guys here in Indiana see us throwing Medusas, cowgirls, whatever. Yeah, we've had a boat pull up to us. What are you guys fishing for? <laughs> I'm like, musty, and they go, those are in here? And it's like, yeah, they're in here. And it's like, you just got to work for them. And you never know. It's like people are oblivious to the fact. And so it works out good for us on some lakes. But then you always have your people that know about the spots, too. So but it's a neat little fishery down here. I didn't really... I, I never thought that I would have a chance to fish for muskies every weekend living in Indiana. And that is thanks to Muskie Zinc. I mean, that it's huge what they've done here. As far as the fishery, or Webster had a really bad, the weed kill there, whenever they treated it. It just, um, from what I've heard, the lake went crap. It just, and we went up there uh, last summer, and I mean, there was one day we moved like 25 different fish and then the PMTT there obviously showed that there is a lot of fish there. It's just, they're small right now because it's sort of like the lake had to rebound a little bit, but nonetheless, it's working. Well, that's good news for sure. Um, how many other musky anglers do you guys hang out with? Do you know many in your area? <laughs> hey, our, our musky friends are pretty much in Minnesota and Wisconsin. We, uh, we, uh, I honestly only know one other guy here uh, in Indiana that we've talked to through social media that like he, he targets him, but that's 
that's really it. <laughs> we don't have, we don't really have any musky friends. So it's just kind of us. And it's, it's sort of like one of those fish that people, you guys hear it with the whole, oh, they eat our walleye. We hear that with, they eat our crappie. They eat our bass, kill every one of them. And that's just, that's a small group of people down here. But it's just like people, you can tell, still don't understand exactly what they do for the ecosystem as far as making it healthier and all that stuff. It's just sort of behind the eight ball and sort of guessing it's what Tony and Greg deal with down there at Cave Run. I mean, we've had some bad incidents down there, but people we've heard doing illegal things that it's a bummer. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it, and there's no reason to get super mad about it. It's frustrating, and you talk to DNR, and luckily the guys that were doing things down at Lake Weepish um, were arrested or caught, as far as we know. Um, so, oh, it's good to know that justice can be served to those guys a little bit by DNR, so that's not But It's uh, one of those things, it's like people haven't, in the lakes, I know Webster and stuff. It people know that that's in as much some of the unknown lakes around here. People are sort of like setting their ways. Well, they're eating all my fish or whatever. And it's like no, no, they're not. You just they're your fish. The habitats changed a little bit, so your bluegill and crappie aren't just going to be swimming out in the abyss because there's something out there that could potentially eat them. Uh, it's just that. But then again, I mean. People, our lakes, what we're seeing, they, it's a healthy fishery down here. That's awesome to hear. You know, you talk about the people that uh, are actually fighting against the muskies. Um, I My home water is Lake Miltona here in Minnesota, and uh, it's the home of where no more muskies began, which... <laughs> Um, so I've battled those people for a long time myself, so over 20 years, but... Uh, you know, it's unfortunate. A few people can make a big stink, and ultimately, um, none of it's usually factual driven. Unfortunately, yeah, and, yeah. but fortunately, because it isn't, it gives you a good way to fight them too. So, yeah, I don't know. Keep your chin up and keep working on that. You know, and and as we can educate more people, things uh, things kind of turn around. So the, the really good thing about it is that the guys who are targeting muskies on our lakes, they seem to, even if some of them are like, they're just getting educated, they all seem to do their best for the fish. But I mean, you always have, you always have the anti-muskie rhetoric. I don't think there's any way to get around that. No, it'll always be there to some level, but so let's, let's shift gears a little bit guys. Um, it's all good stuff. I'm curious, when you first got into this sport, you know, I know you said you bought a boat. How did you go about shopping? What, what did you actually, I mean, what were you looking for in gear and why? I want to know why you bought what you bought when you first started. That's a very overwhelming question. <laughs> I mean, obviously, when we, so our first musky trip was up at Eagle Lake. And on Osborne Bay, we stand there or stayed there, and Randy Tyra, he, I think he might own the place now. I know it was his dad. He got us really going into the musky fishermen or fishing, so we have him to thank for that if he's listening or whatever. But, um, but it was just the new bucktails were good. Well, and as far well as far as our boat goes, we were 
we were looking for so the boat we kind of just it was the perfect setup for our waters here as far as like it's a smaller bass style boat where we could you know launch it pretty much into anything but we it was more of hey that's a perfect boat that we can afford we can fish out of and we're going to be able to rely on it uh we probably didn't have the <laughs> we really didn't because we don't have a group of fishermen to talk to we didn't really necessarily have um the people to go to and turn to and look for the advice on the things that we needed so as far as troubleshooting i mean the troy motor that we got on that boat to start out we broke it within the first season i mean the <laughs> shaft completely seized up and everything i mean it, you learn real fast that cable drive trolling motor just is that's not what you want if you're standing in three foot waves out on vermilion trying to work around a reef it, so it's like you kind of take your knocks with all those things you, um, luckily we had it, jake was kind of getting onto the gear side of things we had the right idea behind you know rods and stuff i mean we went straight to st croix and then daiwas and shimano's with our reels so we we're pretty dialed in on that just by we were kind of watching the right shows and all that but uh yeah a lot of it was i mean we we definitely we got a really solid and sound boat to start out but you still you take your knocks with you some of the equipment you have you just don't realize that it's not it seems like everything is kosher and exactly what you want but you get out there and you see that it's worth spending a little extra money on certain things they go a long long way well that's the reason i asked the question i was just curious how that kind of went for you guys <laughs> oh, oh yeah it goes from as we started out with helix 7 on the dash and now i mean there's mega imaging on there so you get your upgrades the tarova got put on there and i mean both of those very expensive items but i couldn't tell you how many more fish we have boated just because of that or the confidence you get say well when we were at the fox river this last weekend it's we're fishing we were fishing a couple spots we didn't see any other boats on which is very unusual up there it seems like but on my mega MG, I had six or seven muskies swim around on these particular flats. And it's like nobody was fishing them. So the electronics, we ended up, unfortunately, they had a fireworks show, which didn't allow us to go up to that spot during uh, sunset. But uh, we, in those electronics lists, know, hey, you're fishing the right stuff. There are fish here. And it's, it's worth the money. And the Tarova lets you put the boat in the right position. And on big wind, I mean, that cable drive that we used to have in big wind, that was that was something else. I mean, that's you'd get some 20 mile per hour wind out there, and you got to keep balance one foot on the pedal, and then do all that. And Drova, I mean, I don't know how many fish, more fish that I put in the boat last year. It, I, I wish you could almost make a comparison, but at the same time, I don't want to go back with the cable drive and try doing that, but. And the same thing with this mega imaging this year. It's like you get it. You can say, hey, weeds are here. This is gravel. This is hard bottom. Sand, what have it, you know, and it really lets you know what you're fishing. And then obviously seeing the fish is huge and seeing uh, slow and slow follows coming in, just knowing that 
hey, I am doing something right. Maybe I just need to tweak it a little bit, like go a little bit faster, a little bit slower, or maybe get a little bit farther down the water column or what have you. The list goes on. But it's just those tools, just you don't realize how valuable they are until you have them. And that's one thing that we have really, or I've really learned the past year, just upgrading those things. Yes, the money sucks to give out, but it, it's going to pay off in the end. I can't argue any of that. What do you think, Joe? I mean, clearly uh, the theme of every podcast we've had on so far is side imaging is by far the biggest tool that anyone has talked about in every one of our podcasts that has changed the way they fish. Hands down. It, it, it's, I, honestly, I feel like we're uh, promoting Minn Kota and, uh, <laughs> and Hovenberg. Jonathan Outdoors right now is smiling. I mean... Honestly, they're not paying us a penny to say it, but every single person on talks about mega imaging on their hummingbirds, and it's, I mean, crazy. I ha- The weird thing about it is I have it on on my boat. I don't use it. I don't use it that often. I mean, it sounds like a lot of guys are using it when they're when they're uh, casting. I really only use it when I'm trolling. I don't even, like, because it's at the one um, by where I drive. I have a tiller when I, on my boat up north, and I have it back by the tiller. I don't hardly even ever look at it when I'm when I'm casting, I usually only use it when I'm trolling, but apparently I'm missing the boat in some sense too. Well, I can tell you this. I, I am a boat control freak. Okay. Um, I will, I will, um, vouch for that. <laughs> I, I, I really think that the majority of my fish, um, throughout any season is due to boat control. And so for me, I always, you know, guiding, I'm guiding out of the back of the boat. And so I've always had a depth finder hooked to my trolling motor so that I know where my bow is, but Mm -hmm. that depth is red at my feet. You know, I think it's that important. But what I can tell you is that with side imaging, reading the depth is not as important as it once was, because now I can see that weed line. I can see the structure, how far away I am from it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, honestly, you can take a Medusa and you can see all three tails on that Medusa as it's coming to the boat and it'll tell you if you have a follow. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. And that even when you're not catching fish, seeing those low and slow follows, it gives you confidence, especially as a new angler out there. It's like, as I know this year, it seems like we've been on them more, but I don't know if that's just sort of pieces of the puzzles were falling into place or what, but if you're out there and you don't, it's like, is this, this spot looks good. It has to have fish. Why aren't, if it's just a bad day or whatever, you see some fish sitting on there with mega imaging that just boosts your morale. Like I'm doing something right. And it's just, it's like, they're there. It's just, I need to work and wait for these fish to either turn on or maybe change up the presentation a little bit, but it's huge to know, Hey, the spot we're fishing holds fish. And they're here. That's just that's been the thing that's blown my mind with the mega energy. It's no just, doubt about it. I, here's here's one for you that you know when you said that it gives you that uh, confidence and it kind of keeps you in the game, if you will. Um, something I heard from uh, Jason Summers. I don't know if you guys know who Jason Summers is, but he's yeah. uh, he's won quite a few PMTT tournaments and yeah, um, he's a yeah, he the original Medusa, yep, yeah, before he yeah. sold the Chaos, um, or sold Chaos, I should say. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Jason um, is a good friend of mine, and one of the things that he told me, you know, in, in a tournament scenario, you end up staying in a certain area, and you're kind of counting on those fish still being there. 
And um, I asked him one time, I said, man, how do you sit there, eight-hour tournament, how do you sit on one spot, say, you know, 100 yards by whatever? And he said, I'll tell you what, Brad. He goes, a lot of times what I'll do is I'm fishing that and I'm fishing that. And that's all pre-side imaging. So you're, you're hoping those fish are there. You're not spotting them, you know? Right. Um, he told me, he said, sometimes I reel in, set the rods down, pull the trolling motor, and I'll drive like 500 yards away, and I'll come back up to the same exact piece I was just fishing, but it refreshes me. Um, <laughs> he's like, you just came to a new piece of, of uh, structure again. So I don't know. I, I just thought of that when we were talking there, and it kind of neat way to, yeah. to come on a new or on the same piece. He's like, oh no, that's yeah. I could totally see that kind of get your, especially if you're sitting there for that long, and you kind of got to get your head back in the game, set the rods down, and take a couple sips of water, you know, and then you know stand back up and get back to it. I could totally see that. We've done that at Vermillion a time or two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's one of the, it's weird how hey this reef over here it's only how many hundred yards away it feels like a brand new day it's like you never know what's going to happen at that next spot or whatever so the musky fish that's one thing that you learn it, it always leaves you scratching your head in some way shape or form there's no doubt we learn something every day on the water there's no doubt about that so um, so you kind of got your gear, it sounds like pretty manageable. Um, and it sounds like you're doing some traveling as well. Um, you're, you're not just in Indiana. So what yeah. kind of trips do you guys have planned for this season? Well, um, Jake just said we, you know, got back from Green Bay after this weekend. Um, we've got at the end of July, we're going up to Lake of the Woods. We're going to fish the angle. Um, it's been a couple of days on doug wegner's boat up there with him and uh staying out flag island and then uh come the end of august we're going back up to vermilion we're going to stay at vdl and spend three days out on mr ron strand's boat so uh and i think we're going to try and squeeze a couple trips to st Clair in there if we can um this summer once our water temps get too warm to fish here Right. You guys can't be too far away from there, right? Northern Indiana is as far as it comes from St. Clair, five and a half hours or something mm -hmm. like that. Five hours, yeah. Oh, it is that far. Okay. But then again, for us, we're driving at least an hour and a hour and 40 minutes to get to the closest body of water we can fish it. There is one really close to our house, but it's in the beginning stages, so it's sort of, I don't know if there's quite a... Uh, fishable population in it yet and since it's a reservoir i know a lot of fish get off into the rivers and creeks so it, uh, we're waiting for the, just a little bit more time for that lake to get some bigger fish more fish in there um but so really five hour five and a half hours, it's like worth driving that far when you know the fish that swim around in that water that's how i reason it and it's just you don't get the and then, yeah, we have 50 swimming around, and that's everybody knows. That's the magic number, you know. And it's just you go up to Green Bay, you go to St. Clair, you go to Vermilion, you go to Lake of the Woods, and those those types of bodies of water just increase your chances of getting that big fish. Well, I know you touched on it, you know, briefly about looking at stocking reports and different things like that on picking your places on where you're going. Um, 
how else are you doing it? Obviously, it sounds like maybe you're uh, being persuaded a little bit by some different guides out there. Um, and I said it in the last podcast, I recommend to people, you know, if you're new to the sport, guides can cut the learning curve. Oh, you my. Know. You don't even know. Uh, yeah, you, you know. know, you Brad. Do you know. <laughs> that, yeah, I can't. So I would give all the credit to Mike Brown, who guides it. He was guiding Vermillion. I think he's guiding this year. And then also Luke on a strand. Um, we were fortunate enough. To, I don't know how we ended up getting on Luke's boat the first year we were up there, but we squeezed in a half day. And it was just, I mean, the amount of information, and the same thing with you, Brad. I mean, you guys have been doing this for so long. It's like, all right, to go up there and fish with a guy that's been doing this for a living, and be able to pick his brain, you can learn years of information just with three or four days out with him. You know, it's just you put together the pieces of the puzzle, and as long and it's just, I couldn't. I don't know where we'd be sitting without Luke's help. It'd be, I mean, I don't know if Luke realizes how much he's helped us, but it's just he ha- it helps you think, and it helps you think. Okay, well, this is. What we did in this situation on his boat, this is sort of similar to what we've got going on here, and just take everything that we learned from the guides that we went out with, and that's why we want to go out with Doug. Every guide we've been out with, Hammernick and Holbert, every guide that we go out with has a different... Y'all have similarities, but there's a different way that almost everybody approaches it, and it's just nice to sort of pick and choose the information and um, just apply it to your... Because it all transfers over to every body of water in a particular way. I mean, obviously, we don't have rock creek there, but at the same time, there's going to be fish on main lake points or what have you, you know. And that's just, it, I can't tell, like, I can't express enough how important a guide is for somebody that's getting into this that doesn't want to just sit out there and ramp their head to the gunnel of their boat because they're not seeing anything all day. And right. And I, I mean, it's priceless information what you get. I mean, how many years has Luke been guiding? And then you have the opportunity to step on this guy's boat and ask questions. I mean, that is, you can't put a price on that information. And that's boring guides that actually want to teach. You know, I, I, I'm sure you're a guy like that too, Brad, where like you get two new guys on the boat who they're not just out there. Like Brad, put me on a muskie. I just want to catch a muskie. Like, I want to learn how to musty fish. And you're totally okay with, like, I'm going to take the next, you know, however many hours we're fishing, and I'm I'm going to teach these guys everything that I think I can to make their time on the water more successful. It's just uh, when you have guys like that that, you know, are willing and able to do that for people like us that are trying to learn and trying to – not get skunked all the time you know go home happy and say go home like man we gotta figure out you know next time we gotta make it work it's just so it, it just it, it is huge it, it really is everything well that's good stuff i you know one of the first things that i'll do when somebody a new client steps in my boat is i'll ask them straight out why'd you hire me um and they'll sometimes look at you with a blank face like what do you mean we're going fishing <laughs> but yeah. honestly, what the question is, it's a little deeper than that. I want to know, are they there to learn spots? Are they there for their first muskie? Are they there for a 50-incher? 
you know, what, what's the expectation? And the reason I've always done that is I want them to feel open to tell me whatever that they want or ask me anything they want. You know, it's very important that, um, that I'm involved in that whole process and I want to know why, why did you hire me? You know? Yeah. That's so, awesome. Oh, it opens, opens the door for the whole day. Right. Totally. I mean, I'm, it's almost like, I know this isn't true, but it's like I'm in a debt to Luke for teaching me that information. I mean, I just can't, and like you being open to that, that is so awesome. And it's like, I I can only imagine the feeling of getting somebody their first 50 or something like that. Like, that is just awesome. And then to learn from you guys, it's just, I, it was fun being out on Luke's boat. I mean, Luke, er, almost everybody knows Luke, who we talk to, even down here, you know, it's like, if you have done anything with musky fishing, you know Luke Ronishan. And I told my buddy who's big bass fisher, I'm like, this is like fishing with somebody in the Kevin Van Dam spectrum of fishing. And, <laughs> and I mean, it's it this that's what's so cool about the musky world. It's so small. And it's because talking to you, Brad, I mean come and they, Carrie, and like Carrie, talk, and Jeff, I mean that's crazy. That's surreal. I mean it's just crazy how small and tight knit this community really is. So it, it is amazing. There's no doubt about it. And it, it's funny that you guys say that because uh, we were giving Carrie crap in the last deal that she had a bunch of fans on, uh, on <laughs> Facebook already. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I appreciate that guys, but you know, I, that's what it's about, man. We need to be down to earth and we need to, uh, I, I want to relate with everybody. You know, it's important. So we aren't any different than anyone else. Right. Right. Oh, and you guys, hey, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, it's easy to tell that. I mean, a lot of people, there aren't too many people, you know, you always have, you always have those bad apples, but I mean, there are so many people we've come in contact with and it's just like, and he's, I don't know, it's just, it's like, it's just a little different breed. Well, you know what I mean? Like, so, Carrie, I talked to you two years, I think it was two years ago, and I had a supermodel blade fall off. And, and it was just, without even thinking about it, you're like, hey, can you tie your own butt? I was like, well, yeah. And you're like, okay, I'll send you some supermodel wire, new clevis, and a new blade to replace that. And it's like, I have a hard time believing anything and like the bass fishing world which we grew up in if you call any of those manufacturers you're not going to get that type of service i mean that just doesn't happen to talk to the owners of the company and it's just it was sort of weird to wrap my head around that at first but it, that's really cool and i really appreciate you taking care of me on that supermodel too no problem man that's what we're here for you know i we um we get it you know we've done it um, it's important for the customer service and uh, for the success of our business. So it's uh, that's no problem at all. We love it. Well, you know, Brad, it kind of wraps us back to like episode one. I think it was when we kind of broke down and talked about our companies and how like sometimes um, people think that certain companies in the musky world are a lot larger than what they really are. Whereas, I mean, you and I both know that's not the case in this in the musky industry at all. It's very true. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some big companies doing some musky baits, but you know, when you when you go to a show and you start talking to different musky companies, um, there's no doubt about it. You know, there a lot of them are family ran. I mean, look at the sewer. 
how many years has Stuart been in that family, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's a great example. Um, you know, Carrie and I have been doing this uh, officially for 15 years. You know, we started before that. I guess it's 14, excuse me. Officially but, 14. We've been doing it for 15. Yeah. So, I mean, and it, believe me, man, it, it, this is, we're very passionate about it. If we weren't, we wouldn't exist, you know? So. Oh, I totally, you got to, oh, yeah. No, I totally get you. We we come from a small business background, too, and I, I, you got to work your freaking butt off if you want to do it. And I know in this industry that, that kind of goes tenfold sometimes. Right. So what do you guys do? Um, so we work with our dad. Um, he We make promotional products um, like buttons or pins for advertising. So you think like campaign buttons and stuff like that. Yeah. Sure. Dad's been doing it for 40 years. He got into it as a teenager and ended up starting a company. And we kind of grew up with it. And the three of us we're the only full-time employees and the rest are part-time and we just work our butts off and have a really good time with it. We're really fortunate to be able to do what we do. That kind of allows Jake and I to fish the way we do. Probably fish a little bit too much here and there, but I mean, you really well, can't never fish too much. Death. Dad might think so, but <laughs> I, I take advantage of it while we can right now. So. Yeah, he, he does us good. That's for sure. That's awesome. I got to ask them, guys, if you work together, fish together, go to the shows together, do you guys get along all the time? Uh, weirdly, yeah. I, I don't. I think we had enough fights when we were younger or something. I, I don't know what's going on, but it was, we've always been close as brothers. I, I, People think it's weird. Or we've got, how do you guys, and it's like, I don't know, maybe we just know when to stop poking at the other at the right time, whatever, and then. Also, when you're out there on the boat, it's easy to blame the fish, <laughs> especially with today. So it's, it's that it, we just have a good relationship. I don't know what it really spurred from, but yeah, we just been lucky and really lucky. I guess we need to get to that level, Brad. You and I have done seven podcasts together. We don't even get along every time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I haven't heard the old school comment for a little bit, so well, we're doing that's good. that's because we got a you know one guy that's twenty six, another guy that's twenty eight, so we're keeping the age <laughs> demographic down on this podcast. <laughs> that's good stuff. No, I um, I I do think that um, you know the family atmosphere, and it sounds like you're working in that family atmosphere as well. Um, I, I'm guessing there's a few arguments here and there. But, uh, you know, Carrie and I working together for so many years, um, believe me, it has its challenges. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't want it any other way. So, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, we definitely, I don't know. I think we, uh, like Jake said, I think we got in enough fights as kids. And now it's like we get that look from one another. I think we just know to shut up. <laughs> if you're going you know all the way to green bay and you're only going to have you know 13 hours of sleep in three days or whatnot that you, you can't really be going at each other it's going to be a long trip so <laughs> oh that's funny you know you guys talked about a few things that kind of helped helped tame the learning curve a little bit um i guess what what's something else that you guys have done aside from checking out some stocking reports and obviously 
you know, doing some work with some guides. What's what's something else you guys can bring to the table for, you know, a newer angler that's gone from, you know, it's just starting out. What you guys got any information or any tips for somebody? Educate yourself like what we've been talking about and get a guide and all that. But kind of don't be scared to venture away from the norm. I know, Brad, we were kind of talking earlier about, you know, everybody's kind of going back to downsizing baits, and, and, and that's totally fine. There's a time and place for that. I would never tell someone not to experiment like that. But when it comes to, you know, your particular body of water, and everybody's throwing, you know, whatever bucktail. Well, don't be scared to downsize, upsize, you know, go different blades, throw, you know, rubber, throw jerkbait, throw something that you haven't seen anybody throwing all day. If you know the fish are there and you've kind of knocked that part of the puzzle out, then it's okay to go ahead and experiment. And it's okay to look to be different. I think especially... uh, yeah, a lot of our success. I, I not even I can't even say one particular body of water, but it, anywhere we fish, by just trying, even just working a bait, your cadence being a little bit different. Look, look to be different. Separate yourself from the other boats on the water. And one of the things, really, like, so we've already been in the bucktail bite, and just I don't remember who I know it was. A, one thing, podcasts are one of the biggest things that you can listen to. There's a lot of them out there. and I mean, your guys, you guys are starting to come out with great information. And uh, But just being open to try stuff differently. Don't just, looking at the water for six hours straight, and if you don't have a fault, that can get, you can just run the autopilot. Where I've noticed this year, I've really tried, when I'm fishing with bucktails, like, I'll try one cast. I'm going to burn that thing in. The next cast, I might slow it down, like, to a medium retrieve. And then a little bit faster. And then maybe on the next one, just always switching it up, varying up the speeds. And, I mean, there was um, recently, about two weekends ago, went around the spot, didn't see a fish. And I was reading, filling in, probably about medium to medium fast. And it's like, I'm going to burn this thing in. Well, 41 pops up behind it and just chases it in and smokes the boat side. And it's like just being open to trying different things throughout the day and just switching up your speeds, cadence, whatever. It's like one thing, getting into a rut with this can be your worst enemy sometimes. But then other times, you, it's hard. Like on a lake like Vermilion, if you don't see a fish in four to six hours, it might not be because of your lure. Because that water so pressured i mean that's so you gotta sort of realize where you're fishing too we're we're here in indiana and it's one of the lakes that we know hey not too many people will fish this lake we've been using this double a colorado blades for the last six hours haven't moved the fish maybe we should try dirt bait maybe we should try some rubber maybe we try top water slow it down do something you know it's just as it, it almost seems like there's always a fish you can trigger, but you just obviously, yeah, timing has to be good too. I mean, that's one of the things, but so it's just uh, there's a lot that you got to be open minded to it. And I think one of the biggest things too is that there is no rule book to it. I mean, there's always those guidelines that 
Hey, this cloudy day. We got a south wind in July. It should be good. We've been on Vermilion and getting, got skunked on it like that. And then the next day, out there, dead flat, calm, sunny, hot as can be, raise a mid-50. I mean, well, it just, so these fish, it's like there are some really good principles to go by, but at the same time, always those perfect conditions you hear out, hear about. And sometimes if you go out on those bad days, which we're sort of forced to since we can only do this on weekends sometimes, you, you can still manage to get fish on those days. I think you brought up some really valid points and, you know, changing things up. And one of the questions that Jeff's asked multiple times is, when do you change up? Um, I think that's been kind of a, a little signal throughout every podcast we've done. And it's interesting, you know, it sounds like you're changing things up almost every other cast, whether it be cadence or speed. And I think that's that's a really cool, valid point. I love that. That's, you brought something to the table there. Well, and it helps with us, too, since we, I mean, we're always fishing together generally. So we got two baits in the water all the time. And, you know, we're, there, since our first season, there has not been too many times that we are throwing the same bait at, you know, the same time. We, we're constantly trying to look for, you know, something else whatever that could be you know you constantly if if you've got a bait you know if you're up uh, wherever you are on a lake or five-day trip or whatnot and you you've got a cowgirl that's just killing them well keep that bait in the water but if you're not seeing anything the guy in the front of the boat shouldn't be throwing that or the guy in the back shouldn't be throwing that same cowgirl like he Make some use of your time here and see if you can locate some more fish with a different bait. Even if that means that, you know, at prime time when you're going back and that cowgirl is going to be the bait that catches that fish, you need to try to change things up and see if you can figure things out by using the air tools in your box and using different. I mean, as far as maybe the bucktail bite is great. And uh guy in front's using a double cowgirl. Maybe the person in the middle should use a 10 9, the other person run double eights in the back. And there was a week or two weekends ago that we were all throwing bucktails. Somebody was single, somebody was throwing double, somebody was throwing triple blade. I got the fish in the back of the boat for whatever reason. But you know, I have a hard time believing if we were all throwing the same exact lure, we wouldn't have contacted that fish. And that's just you always, even if. It can be, yes, there's a bucktail bite, but hey, maybe you should run doubles and run a single blade, or you should run tens and he should run eights or supermodel tens or somehow mix it up. It seems, I feel like we tend to, somebody's almost always running blades and that, you know, once the water gets good enough where the fish are wanting to go after them, and then somebody's either throwing top water or jerk bait or rubber or swim baits or what have you trying to cover different pieces of the water column, a little bit slower presentation or a little bit more erratic or what have you always mixing it up because there's nothing worse than going home, looking at your boat partner after 12 hours and be like, Oh, just threw double plates all day. What is wrong with us? We didn't catch anything. So why didn't we change stuff up? Why, why not experiment? If things aren't going good, they can't get any worse by throwing a new bait out there. And as long as now you don't want to switch every 10 minutes, as I didn't see a fish that cast, 
I feel like a lot of people must keep fishing, man. Especially everybody's doing it for forever. No, hey, you're not going to go out there and see a fish. Not every time see a fish in the first 15 minutes. But here, explain to our buddies that set the bass fish, they can't believe it. You go hours without seeing a fish. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, but that's just how musky fishing is. And that, But that's the challenge of it. And that's why I have fallen in love with it. I mean, that's just it's something that you can never conquer, no matter how good you get. And that those fish will always throw you a curveball. There's no doubt. I'm impressed, guys. I'm actually really impressed that... Uh... In three years of musky fishing, it sounds like you guys have uh, gathered a ton of information, mm-hmm. and um, you're very knowledgeable, and I appreciate it. It's that's uh, yeah. <laughs> awful nice coming yeah. from you. Comes from guys like you, and watching that was one other thing. Seminars, huge, absolutely huge. I mean, that just there's nothing better. Best time to learn is obviously on the water, but if you're sitting at home, say it's off season or when our water temperatures get too hot or the maybe four weeks out of the year we have ice, um, we sit there and learn. Re- reading Musky Hunter, watching YouTube videos, watching seminars. Um, that, and those are some of the biggest keys. And you find those little hidden gems in them. And sometimes it takes listening to two or three times because this information is so overwhelming when you get it. It's like... There's so much I, I need to do. Well, then after a trial and error, you realize I might have just been making this a little bit too hard. And it's like sometimes the fish just are not going to go how you want them to go. And that's going back to electronics. When days are like that, you have bad conditions. It's like, well, I am fishing the right areas because I see fish. And that's it's just a long road to go down, but you figure out your things. And, I mean, seminars have just been out. I mean, those are huge, and like you said, guides and guides like you, Brad, that are willing to share the information. That that that's really big too. That's good stuff, guys. What else do you have on the agenda, Jeff? I think we pretty much got it covered, Brad. So we can. Uh... I I'm like I said just a second ago. I'm impressed. I mean, I I love what you guys brought to the table. Well, thanks a bunch, Brad. That means a lot. Man. Yeah, thanks for having us on. It was great to talk with you. Brad, I, I'd love to go fishing with you sometime, buddy. We'll drive on up. Yeah, we're going to have to make it. Hey, this year's this year looking a little crazy, but 2020 is <laughs> wide open, so we're going <laughs> to make it happen, buddy. Well, you know what? I I probably maybe have met you in the show booth at some point or whatever and, and maybe didn't know it, but... Uh, you guys, I'm guessing, come to the Chicago show, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Were you, I don't know if you were standing in the booth. We were going to go say hi to you this year, but I, yeah, I don't think you were standing in the booth whenever we walked by. Come it, on, now. That. Come on. I, now I'm getting in trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> there, Brad. I'm, no, I'm, I'm usually pretty good about staying in the booth, actually. But well, um, As long as I'm not there. It, you know, we we did stop and we did buy some merchandise. Yeah, though, got so some of those moon, too upset with Got some moon series. So. I, I'm not I'm not upset with you at all. No, you can't <laughs> be upset with Brad. <laughs> I know how he is. Don't worry. Well, I'll tell you what I do. What I like to do. Um, I met a lot of people actually from Indiana this past year in the Chicago show, and um, a lot of them were brand new. You know, they caught one mistakenly by bass fishing or whatever. 
And um, when I get a new person in the booth, um, yeah, I'm a tackle manufacturer, but don't get me wrong, I use other products as well. And um, I will take those people and walk them around and introduce them to some other different uh, baits as well. And I think it's important that uh, it kind of falls back into what you guys were talking about. Um, we want people successful. We want people in this sport. And it's it's necessary to have people in the sport if we want to continue growing really strong, good uh, fisheries. So I try to do everything I can to help that. I think that shows. I think that definitely shows. I think I think the whole industry kind of sees that. I think the hoppies do a lot for the musky world. Well, thank you. I <laughs> wasn't can't looking quit, for that. But. Can't forget Jeff over there. <laughs> no, I don't do I don't do much. <laughs> He's going to be up till four in the morning editing a podcast. <laughs> Sounds like a bunch of fun. No, Brad, I got to <laughs> tell you, we're going to do. I don't even know. Is this is this episode seven, Carrie? Is that what we just determined? Yeah, seven. Okay. Yep. gets good. So we're going to do episode eight after this one, even though it's already almost 11 o'clock at night. And then I'm going to bed tonight because I was in the shop till one editing Pete Rich's last night. So I'm going to bed. Um, yeah, you won't get artwork for eight until the morning anyway. So. Yeah, that's plenty fine because it's not getting edited till I don't know, maybe tomorrow at some point. I'm I'm going to try to go fishing tomorrow. I unfortunately have to go to work for half a day tomorrow. I was hoping to have the day off couple things came up i gotta go to work tomorrow and then i'm gonna go podcast in the middle of the day um no i was wait. i'm waiting for brad to say that to me though like hey i got a guest at noon you want to do another podcast at noon (laughs) (laughs) well fortunately for you jeff we have uh, a couple guys coming up for a meeting tomorrow um but i could squeeze one in after that nope the answer is no brad nope (laughs) nope Uh, good stuff. I'm cutting you off. I'm going to go try to catch a muskie. I haven't done that yet this year, and I only have about five hours on the water, so that's my plan for tomorrow, hopefully. We'll see how this works. Go get a tank, Jeff. Yeah, I'm not going to Green Bay, though. Like I live way closer to Green Bay than you guys do, and I just don't have a whole lot of desire to fish it. There's a lot of big fish there, and that's great, but uh, I'm just not Can into you tell me there's no big fish in the lake that you're going to go fish? I mean, there are big ones, but it's probably like, in, it's probably like Indiana. Once you leave... Once you leave Green Bay, you know, in, in Wisconsin, I mean, I'm not saying that there's not chances for big fish in Wisconsin, but my chances of getting a 50 are way higher if I take a 40-minute drive north than if I take than I, if I take a two-hour drive north. If I take a two-hour drive north, I'm hoping to get a 41. If I take a 40-minute drive north, I'm hoping to get a 50. The difference is tomorrow, if I go on the water, I won't see anyone else fishing. If I go to Green Bay, I guarantee I won't be alone. You got bumper cars up there. It was fun last weekend. What are you talking about? There's nothing better than fishing with 30 bumper boats on the spot. I mean, yeah. you, you got to be watching your head to make sure lures aren't flying around. <laughs> I mean, that that was our first experience with Green Bay on open air. I mean, that that was nuts. It was nuts. That's you know, it's, it's nice that you can visit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can just see what they're throwing because it's right there in the boat next to you. You could pretty much walk across it. You guys all missed out on the heyday MLX, then. You haven't seen anything. Yeah, Um, I totally missed out on that. Yeah, same thing with Vermilion. Luke's told us stories about lines being on the reefs and stuff like that, boats waiting to get in. And Hammernick, too, same deal. 
we've heard it, yeah, too much about Malax and too much about Vermillion and how we've missed it, we missed the craze and how, yeah, I, I just wish that I could have been musky fishing with a cowgirl seven years ago. That, that would have been a lot of fun. Well, depends on if you like bumper boats or not. <laughs> well, it sounds like there was a lot of fish being caught. It doesn't sound like like the way Green Bay is nowadays. There was there was a lot of fish. I think yeah. I still I still carry like a forty eight inch average from over there. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, J when we talked to Jason, he said that uh, he was really happy with his days out there last year. Um, he said he was averaging about a fish a day, but it, it was like around that fifty inch class fish. So. Yeah. It's exactly. I mean, it's, you, you do have to work for it. I mean, you, it's it's not like you didn't have to work real hard back in the day. Now, now you actually have to musky fish, basically. Yeah. And Luke's told us about people that work at lodges up there that sort of stick to the walleyes now because of how up the musky fishing's got up there. But it's, it's it makes it that much more worth it when you catch that fish. That's the uh, way I look at it and keep telling myself after how many hours on vermilion without seeing anything or whatever or losing fish or what have you but yeah but it's got pretty scenery oh yeah it's gorgeous yeah. <laughs> well, I know, that's what's so crazy i could only imagine being up there at those lakes when it was that good i mean jake and i we go crazy about our trip to vermilion every year just drooling and then we don't want to leave and it's like we get our freaking butts kicked half the time. And oh. I absolutely love it. I can only imagine if it was like what it was. It one just... one time you'll hit it where it's just on fire. And, and then because it wasn't too long ago that PMTT was up there and it was on fire. Oh, it's There's a lot of fish there. They're just there. It's the education of the fish that I think makes the lake so hard. Those fish know they're they're smart. They've been hooked enough times, enough bad feeding experiences, and they they need the right conditions to eat that bucktail again. You know, it's, right? We, we saw some wacky stuff on Vermilion this year. I, I don't even know if it's true or not what we experienced with Luke, but it was just they're too smart. They're yeah. just, we'll just keep it at that. Those fish are too smart. Well, it makes it a challenge, but think of it this way, guys. You're learning something every day by those fish being that way. Oh, yeah. Oh, you you learn that, yeah, stealth is everything sometimes. For oh, sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It, that's, you, it's crazy. It, and then timing comes down to it, and, I mean, it doesn't – my God, does timing come down to I mean, it. It's, it's everything. 20-something longer than 20 hours out there without catching a fish and then like we did last year i don't i think we were up there two days and every day you get an opportunity if you work for it but no fish for two days third day third evening i off to 42 and then two spots later he got a 45 and it's like the double up on vermilion especially we were hearing that the bite was not that good while we were up there at that particular time it's like you can get rewarded very and you just gotta timing is huge and then there's other factors you put in play to help the odds go in your favor a little bit but, and there's always fish nah, I don't, yeah those yeah. fish teach you a lot brad 
teach you a lot. Teach what you don't know. That's for sure. They probably teach you more than just uh, fishing skills, actually. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. It's kind, of, it's kind of like what is it? Martial arts class. It's like a self-discipline type of thing. <laughs> exactly. Don't put together for the next twenty hours while you cast, and you'll get your one opportunity. <laughs> that's good stuff. Well, guys, I think that's about the end of this episode. Um, we really appreciate you coming on tonight. I'm I'm glad that. Uh, you know, Brad got to talk to you too. I know I've talked to you guys a bunch at the shows, and like I said, the thing that drew me always to you guys was just the just the passion you guys had for musky fishing. And I'm glad that you made it out. We really appreciate you coming on tonight. Oh yeah, always a pleasure to talk to you, Jeff. And really nice to meet you, Brad and Carrie. Yeah, yeah, nice to talk to you guys too. Likewise, guys, I I enjoyed it. So that's a wrap for episode number seven of the Backlash podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on, um, let's see here. Where do we got, Carrie? We got Instagram account. We got a Facebook account. Correct. We have an email that would be backlashpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. Um, I was your kind of host tonight. Brad did most of the hosting tonight. I'm Jeff, <laughs> Team Rhino Outdoors, and you were also talking with Brad and Carrie from Muskie Mayhem Tackle. You can reach us uh, at muskymayhemtackle.com, and we're also available on Instagram and Facebook, and love to hear from you guys. So appreciate all your time and all the listeners out there. Thank you, everybody, for coming out tonight. See you next time.